Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. We've been going through the life of Joseph in a series called Life Happens. And this morning we're going to continue this theme. Um, because as you study people like Joseph, man, you got to wonder, who in the world was this cat's mother? Where did he come from? How did this lady hold it together being one of Jacob's wives and the mother of a young man like Joseph? So this morning we're going to look at the, at the life of Rachel, who was Joseph's mom. And it's pretty fitting because when you become a mother, life certainly happens, doesn't it? For those of you that have experienced it, suddenly your house goes from a beautiful, perfect, everything's in order, to now there's diapers and kid stuff and toys and blankets just everywhere. It's like, it's like Toys R Us just threw up in your living room. I mean, it's just crazy. But on the same other side of that, you know, uh, I loved my wife when we were first married, those first few years, obviously, that, that's a good thing. I did. I loved her. But when she became a mother for the first time, my respect and appreciation for her just went through the roof. When I saw um, just the way that a, 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 you know, first I'd experienced it from my mother, but just watching a mother, a brand new mother, the way they care for and love their child is something very special. And then she did it again with our little girl. And it's just amazing. Molly asked our uh, group on Wednesday night, the four to six-year-olds, she asked them what was the coolest thing about their moms. And she got a bunch of different answers, but none of them said, well, mom gets me all these awesome clothes, mom got me a new iPad, mom buys me this and buys me that, takes me on these awesome vacations. Instead, they said some things like this. They said, mom reads to me, mom plays games with me, she takes me to school. She picks me up when she's not working. She pushes me on the swings. Spends time with them. Mothers are so special in the lives of their children. I want to look this morning, like I said, at, at Joseph's mother, Rachel. And I'm just going to kindly tell the story of her. And there's some things that, that we can learn from her life. Because Rachel was a very real person. She was not perfect. And I know we think a lot of our mothers are perfect. And I'll just say this one day, they are. Every mother in this room is perfect. But Rachel was not perfect. So we're going to learn from Rachel since everybody else is perfect, okay? She, uh, she like many other, other mothers, Rachel had a lot of difficulties in her life. But she left a long-lasting legacy over generations in her response to all of the things that life threw at her. And even to some of the decisions that she herself Made. So think about who she is. Rachel is considered the mother of the nation of Israel. At least one of them. She is the mother to two of the men that were the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. One of those being Joseph who saved the nation from what would have been certain extinction. We'll learn about that in a few weeks. But her story begins when Jacob... You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob sets out. He leaves his mom and dad. Actually, he's trying to get away from his brother, his twin brother Esau, who 
Well, he just really ticked him off. We won't go into all that. He's trying to get away from him and find himself a good wife. And he goes down to some other family that he knows to try and find a woman. Again, we won't get into that either. That's just kind of odd. But, but he goes into his own people. And he meets the daughter, one of the daughters, of a guy named Laban. Laban just happened to be Jacob's uncle and his second cousin. Again, this is kind of weird. We're going to go through this part really quick. But he immediately falls in love with this girl, Rachel, that he meets there that, that day. And he's so crazy about Rachel that he arranges with Uncle Cousin Laban <laughs> to, to work for him for seven years in order to pay the bride price for his to-be bride, Rachel. So they work this deal out, and finally they get to the wedding day, and Jacob gets married to the girl of his dreams, except he doesn't actually marry the girl of his dreams. He had an accident. They had their faces covered up in those days, especially at the wedding. And he accidentally married Rachel's older, uglier sister, Named Leah. How many been there? I just <laughs> don't raise your please don't raise your hands. <laughs> we do have counseling available at church if you've ever been in a situation like this. <laughs> but Uncle Cousin Laban set this deal up. And he, he, he justified it to Jacob by saying, Man, it just it's just not right to marry off the youngest daughter before the oldest. But the good news is, son, I tell you what, if you'll work for another seven years, I'll let you marry Rachel too. So Jacob's like, all right, it's a deal. So he works another seven years, and at the end of that seven years, just, you can't make this stuff. I love the Bible. <laughs> they become the world's very first sister wives and start a TV series in Mesopotamia. To show what life is like. I know it's messed up. But I do want you to see a principle here. This is a serious part. There's a principle at display here. Very early on in the life of Rachel. And that is the truth that she is wholly committed to this man that she has fallen in love with. And to her family. She waits first for seven years. Then waits another seven years. That's 14 years. Most good women won't wait 14 minutes for a man to do anything, let alone 14 years. But she's so dedicated to her marriage and to her new family, she sticks around and just waits 14 years of her life to be with this guy. Jacob must have been some guy, really. But you know, me, I think about this, and I think about the dedication of women to their families. You know, I couldn't help but think of my bride. We got married on December 18th. And on New Year's Day, I was headed across the country on my way getting ready to go to Iraq and spend most of the first year of our marriage away from her. And she waited very patiently and very faithfully. Long, well, long story short, it was worth the wait. Not because of me. <laughs> because when I finally got to being home, we, we got our precious son and eventually our little girl. But she was committed not only to me, her husband, the man that I think she loved, but this family. 
godly women and godly mothers, they have a patience that most of, especially we men, most of us cannot comprehend the patience that a woman has. Guys, the stuff that we put our wives and our mothers through, Amen. God forgive us. <laughs> and God bless these ladies. Well, finally, Rachel has her marriage. Even though she kind of has to split time with, we don't know the details how that worked out. I don't want to know how she split time between Jacob with her sister and all that. But she's faithful and she tries her very best to be fruitful. But she finds herself in a situation that far too many women find themselves in. And like Sarah, like Rebecca, before her, Rachel struggles to have any children. And to make matters worse, isn't this how it always happens? To make matters worse, her ugly sister Liz popping out kids left and right. And this is where we learn from Rachel what not to do. Like I said, she wasn't perfect. She was human. But she had forgotten the amazing fact that children are a gift from God. The Bible says that when God saw that Leah was unloved, the Bible says in a nice way she, was, she wouldn't look her. Jacob really didn't love her that much. He didn't want her in the first place. And God saw that Leah was unloved, and the Bible says he opened her womb. God gave her the gift of children, and to Leah, four sons were born. And we know that Rachel's forgotten that children are a gift from God because in her grief and her distress, she turns to Jacob. She demanded children from Jacob as if Jacob could just make it happen. She said, give me children or I'm going to die. And Jacob told her, he said, I can't do anything about it. And so this is where she takes matters into her own hands. Instead of trusting God, instead of trusting his timing, she said, well, why don't you have children with my handmaid? And I'll, it'll be like a surrogate mother for me. And Leah sees what's happening, and in competition she goes and says the same thing. Well, I've got a handmaid. You can have children with them too. And Jacob, being a good, godly man, says, You all have lost your mind. I can't do this. No, he didn't actually say anything like that. He said, All right, sounds good. Let's... And so now we've got four women involved in a marriage where there should have been one to begin with. And we've got <coughs> excuse me, all these extra children being born into this family. And when I talk about trusting God and talk about having faith, listen, I am in no way trying to downplay this incredibly difficult situation. When you talk to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what, if it happens, it'll be a miracle. It may not happen at all for you. I know what that feels like. And I know firsthand the emotions that a, a woman can go through when she feels that she cannot have children. But I'm saying in most women there's a deep instinct, a deep desire for motherhood. And I think that it's, it stems from God's command to Mother Eve when he looked at Adam and Eve and said, go forth and be fruitful and multiply. And all of us have that, most of us anyway, have that desire to have children. I love my children. There ain't nothing like them. But I also know that it's gut-wrenching. When you want to be a mother or you want to be a father, and it just ain't happening. So I know these two things. I know one, God is the author of life. We see that time and time again We're throughout the Word of God. God is the creator 
and the author of life. And I know that if God wants there to be a life, even when the doctors say that it can't happen, even when you think it's not going to happen, when God wants it to happen, wounds will be open, things will begin to change, things will happen, and if God wants there to be a life, guess what? That life will come to existence in God's time. The other thing that I know is that some of the greatest mother figures I've ever known in my life had no biological children of their own. My great uncle and my great aunt, hopefully you'll get to meet them in a couple of weeks down by the river. They never had children of their own. And they would have made the world's greatest parents. But together they raised an entire neighborhood of kids. All the kids in the neighborhood were just flocked to them. And they taught me things that I couldn't learn anywhere else, couldn't learn it from school. It was just They were just like mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. My mom would not be who she is today if it hadn't been for ain't. That's what we call it. I wouldn't be who I am without ain't. And so some of the greatest mothers were never mothers at all. And I know that it's easy to get impatient. It's easy to start thinking it's not going to happen just to give up. But part of the process, and we don't like processes, but part of the process is realizing the joy when it finally happens. Time went on for Rachel and her family. And all these kids, Jacob's having all these kids. Every woman in the house has kids except for Rachel. And it's got to be, you know what's driving her crazy. But finally, finally it happens. Finally God gives her a child because God knew there had to be a Joseph that would rescue all these other kids they just started having. And so Rachel gives birth to Joseph. And it, it, not only did she finally have a, a kid, but she was the one that got to have the favorite kid out of the family. You know, Joseph, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Joseph was Jacob's favorite, even though he was the youngest. He, he gave him the coat of many colors. He was the one that was loved by Jacob more than all the other brothers. He was the one that was going to take Joseph's, uh, Jacob's place as the leader of the family when Jacob finally passed on. And then all of a sudden, as a young man, Joseph just disappears. It's a mother's worst nightmare. <laughs> and I've put my mother through it a few times. She's shaking her head, yep. <laughs> they think that Joseph's been eaten by wild animals. He's dead and gone. But really, God had Joseph exactly where he wanted him. And we know the story from, jo from Joseph's point of view, but we don't have a lot of details about what went on back home with his mother. We can imagine she was devastated. She had to be. It was her only son. It was the one that she'd waited on for so long, the one that she'd prayed for, the one that she'd cared for for 17 or 18 years. And all of a sudden, he's gone, just ripped away like that. Well, years later, the prophet Jeremiah wrote about Rachel. And this is what's neat about Rachel. You know, a lot of women, we get little glimpses of their life, and that's all you get. But there's a select few that are carried over throughout the Bible. Rachel happened to be one of those that was remembered for generations, for centuries. And, and hundred-plus years later, the prophet Jeremiah writes about Rachel and her legacy. And Jeremiah 31, 15 through 20 says that, 
This is what the Lord says. A voice was heard in Ramah, a lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And this is what the Lord says. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. And get this, for the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will, will return from the enemy's land. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return to their own territory. I have surely heard Ephraim moaning. Ephraim was Rachel's granddaughter, Joseph's son. I've heard Ephraim moaning. You disciplined me, and I've been disciplined like an untrained calf. Take me back so that I can return for you, Lord, are my God. After my return, I felt regret. After I was instructed, I struck my thigh in grief. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. And God says this, Isn't Ephraim a precious son to me, a delightful child? Whenever I speak against him, I certainly still think about him. Therefore, my inner being yearns for him. I will truly have compassion on him. This is the Lord's declaration. So as devastating as that period had to be for Rachel, notice what Jeremiah says. He says she wept bitterly for her children, plural, her children. God gave her yet another son after Joseph named Benjamin. And Benjamin was, going to, was the one that became the ancestor to people like the first king of the nation of Israel. He was the ancestor to people like the apostle Paul and many others. And here, as the mother of this nation, Rachel is told, don't weep anymore. Her, her children will be brought out of exile, that God will care for them personally, and they will be brought into safety. And God says at the end of that passage, these kids may have done wrong. They may have gone astray, but I will love them. I will have compassion on them. And, and my point is, I'm so thankful this morning for mothers that literally lead their children into the love and the compassion of God. That's the last thing that we learned from Rachel. She wasn't perfect. She was far from it. But her legacy of love for her children was what lasted for generation after generation. And still she's considered the mother, the one that loved her children and mourned for her children and became the mother figure of an entire nation of people, the people of Israel. You know, if there's one thing we need, it's not only mothers that spend time with their children, which is so important, and even our kids, as we learned this week, pick up on that. Not only mothers that love them, but mothers that go before their children, intercede for them and pray for them to God. I'll be honest, I highly doubt I'd be standing before you this morning if not for a praying mother. My mother-in-law asked my mother one time, so what did, what, how do you handle them boys out there on them four-wheelers and up in the mountains and just running like wild men? And Mom just nonchalantly said, I, I just pray. I just pray. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> I thank God for our mothers. Thank God for mothers that pray for their children. Thank God for mothers that get up early, get their kids cleaned up, get them ready, and drag them to church 
even when they're kicking and screaming and don't want to. Thank God for mothers that love their families, that are committed and dedicated to their families, that are those pillars of support even when things get tough. Guys, we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to our mothers. Rachel, at the end of her life, leaves us with one final lesson. At the very end of Rachel's life, she died young. She gave it all for her children. She literally gave her life. She died while giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. And I think that is the epitome of a mother's love. I would venture to say that most any mother would gladly lay down their life for their children. <laughs> I would say that most mothers would probably lay down their life if they knew their children would make it to heaven. And in that way, a mother's love is just like God's love, isn't it? As Christ willingly laid down his life for us so we could have life and have it more abundantly, that is the kind of love that our mothers have for all of us. God bless you, mothers. I love you, Mama. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this very special day, Lord, that we get to pause and, and just uh, give thanks, Lord, for our mothers, for our aunts, our grandmothers, God, these incredible women that have sacrificed and given so much, Lord, that we could have a better life. God, this morning we're reminded that even if we didn't really have a mother, well, Lord, if our mother wasn't perfect, God, your love is perfect. And Lord, you have demonstrated your love by sending your own son to die on a cross for our sins. God, so not just so we could have a better life, but God, so we could have eternal life. And Lord, this morning as we're reminded of that, if there's someone who's never accepted that free gift, God, I pray the day they come and get saved, to give their life to Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for these wonderful women. God, I pray that you bless them on this very special Mother's Day. In the name of Jesus. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.